Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the largest online nursery in the USA? With more than 10,000 plant varieties and millions of satisfied customers. I have their trees and plants at my home, and they're fantastic. Have you had your fair share of landscaping woes and wasted weekends at crowded nurseries? Finding fast-growing trees will be like stumbling upon a hidden treasure, believe me. With fast-growing trees, it's different. From fruit trees to houseplants, they have it all delivered right to your doorstep. Plus, their plant experts are always available for advice. And here's the best part. This spring, they have up to half off on select plants. And my audience can get an extra 15% off by using promo code BILL at checkout. So please go to FastGrowingTrees.com. Use promo code BILL at checkout. Sorting through your expenses, estimated payments, and all those tax deductions can be overwhelming. Might even lead to a failure to file and failure to pay penalties that pile up on your tax debt. The attorneys at Tax Network USA have been lifesavers for many Americans. Their team has successfully saved clients more than $1 billion in tax debt. A billion. Whether you're in the hole for $10,000 or $10 million, they are ready to help. The expert attorneys and tax professionals at Tax Network USA are equipped to secure the best settlement for you and help you resolve all tax cases. So please go to taxnetworkusa.com bill, or you can call 1-800-245-6000. These debt relief programs are expected to change, so get started now. Please go to taxnetworkusa.com slash bill, or you can call 1-800-245-6000. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Welcome to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. Now, I want the best training possible for every police officer in this country. Once you got a gun and a badge and you have power over other people, including me, I want you to be trained. I want you to be a rational thinker. I want you to be a problem solver. Those cops, we're not solving any problem there. Okay? But again, they each have to be interviewed separately as to why did you participate in this? And this, the locals can't do it in Memphis. It's got to be Governor Lee, Bill Lee in Tennessee, has got to form a task force of law enforcement people and psychiatrists and, and that to interview each one of these officers in prison to find out, what the, why did you do this? Why? And I, I don't know what they'll say. I assume they'll have excuses, but maybe not. But we've got to get some kind of insight into the mind of a police officer who, in the wake of George Floyd, where everybody vividly remembers would do the same thing to a defenseless, you know, Tyree didn't have a gun, he wasn't armed. Oh, I just, it, I love my country, all right? And it, I, I know how much this damages my country. Now, most of the analysis over the weekend was self-serving, 
And, uh, you know, it made me mad. I had to turn most of it off. It was predictable. It was foolish. Um, It led nowhere. You can almost, when somebody comes on and I know who they are, I can predict what they're going to say. All right? They want a virtue signal or they want to make an excuse, whatever it may be. I know what they're going to do. But two sound bites caught my eye, and I'm going to run them both. They're totally different. Go number one. The televised countdown to the release of the video that captured his demise further made sport of his death and devalued his life. It furthered the theater making of black people's pain and it underscores America's perverse abandonment of the commitment to change it made after the death of George Floyd and the historic summer of protest that it begat. Okay, so that man, Charles Blow, former New York Times guy, I mean, I th- he may be there. I, I don't read him. I don't listen to him. He hates his country, always has. I've had innings with this guy going way back. He just despises me. I don't know why Bob's living here. You know, if I hated my country, I wouldn't live here. I'd go someplace else. But that is the intellectual. See, he's, he's considered an intellectual. So the America's perverse abandonment of the commitment to change after the death of George Floyd. America's, like we all have abandoned any kind of fairness or responsibility by the police. I mean, it's just such a lie. It's just staggering. But this is what these people do. All right, the New York Times and and all of that. Second one was a law enforcement guy out here in uh, Long Island where I am. Go. And then they tarnished the shield. They ruined the reputation of all the good men and women out there in law enforcement that work hard every single day and go out there and take the risk. Okay, that was Pat Ryder, who is the Nassau County Police Commissioner. And these police officers did. All right, they tarnished the reputation of law enforcement. They didn't know they were doing that, I guess, when they were beating this man to death, but... That's the consequence. All right. Um, Let's go down to uh, a guy who knows Memphis very well, Ben Ferguson. Um, He is the host of the Ben Ferguson podcast. He also has a podcast with Ted Cruz, joins us from Houston. So I know you have uh, deep roots in Memphis. uh, Your father's in law enforcement, and um, you know what the deal is down there. If... I spoke for 13 minutes. Did I say anything wrong or anything misguided or anything naive? No, I I, I don't think you did. I do think that a lot of people have missed, Bill, this story. And this was a lack of institutional control at the Memphis Police Department that caused this. And let me explain a quick timeline for you. Several years ago, the Memphis City Council decided they were going to be on the forefront of defund the police movement. How they did that was by taking away the retirement benefits for fire and police. When that happened, it was a catastrophic event in Memphis because all of the senior members of the Memphis Police Force and the EMTs and the fire department turned in their resignations for retirement. They said, if you're not going to give us what we've been working so hard for and you're taking away our retirement benefits, 
we're going to instantly leave to a different place that is safer or pays us more money because you're literally stripping us of our the, what you promised us. That is when this, in my opinion, basically that was what lit the match. So all of these people that had ties to the community, that were respected by the community, that could talk to the different people in the different neighborhoods, vanished. Then you had another thing that happened. They wanted to defund the police again. And they decided that not a single law enforcement officer could live outside of Shelby County. Now, if you look at Memphis on a map, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas, I can literally drive in all three states, Bill, in 15 minutes at the speed limit. That's how close they all are. People live in Mississippi and work in, at, at FedEx. Thousands of them work and live in Mississippi and work in Memphis, tens of thousands. And that was their way, again, of defunding the police, getting rid of police officers. The citizens of Memphis were so outraged, they decided to get it on the ballot so that the citizens could vote, saying, we don't care where a police officer lives. We're down at that point, Bill, 500 police officers that has now gone to 700 police officers we are missing. That is the city's own study. And what they did was the city council said, no, screw you citizens. They took it off the ballot and said, you cannot hire a police officer that doesn't live inside of Shelby County. When that happened, you have a bunch of young cops now, just like this, this Scorpion group, two years, three years, four years of service without having enough captains to even look over them. When the new police chief, C.J. Davis, who I think did an excellent job with this, she came in the city. The first thing she said was, I desperately need senior law enforcement officials to mentor and to oversee a extremely young police force. Because all of my good guys have been here that were invested in the community that lived right. here. They've all retired. I think we got that it. That is so, how this happened. So the structure of policing breaks down in Memphis. And you can see the crime stats. They're right? through the roof. Most, one of the most dangerous seasons in, in America. Bill, the I've been worst shot for at. violent crime. The I've worst. been shot at in Memphis. Okay. But still, these guys, these officers, three with college degrees, had yeah. to know that they were ruining their own lives. I don't think they did. And this is where I will disagree with you, and I'll explain why. The crime in Memphis is so out of control, and I'm a victim of a gun crime, and I grew up in a law enforcement family. I had to use a gun to save my own life. It was a gang initiation in Memphis, Tennessee, where two gang members tried to kill me on purpose. It was, a, it was to get in the gang. They call it having blood in the gang. When you're dealing with a city that's out of control, where every single police officer every day is on edge, and there are constant carjackings, there are constant seniors being beaten, Two weeks ago, Bill, we had a man that was accused of first-degree murder that walked out of jail with zero bail, no bail. He was accused and charged of killing a man, first-degree murder, and he walked out. When I and others exposed it in Memphis, they said, oh, the system got it wrong. We'll go rearrest him and have set a bail for him. These cops are on edge. As soon as there was a scuffle and he took off running, they're on heightened alert because this is now a war zone in Memphis. But Do, he was unarmed. Their actions. They knew no, he, he was. Doesn't. They knew he had no gun because he didn't resist at first. They knew he yeah. didn't have a weapon. Couldn't agree and they, with you more. And they beat the living daylights out. No, of they him murdered him anyway. They murdered him. Right. But 
But but wait, 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 there, wait, Ben. I look. You can be inexperienced. You can have no supervision. You can be on edge because the crime is out of control. All of that. But when it comes down to self-preservation, you'd go wild. You put your own yeah. life and family in jeopardy. That's I think the this key. Is, I, and I think this is what has happened when you have when you have I call it lack of institutional control. You've lost control from a leadership perspective, and it's the Wild West. And they don't think about the repercussions for their actions, and they didn't think that that camera on that pole on that street corner was actually watching them. And thank the Lord it was there. And thank the Lord that Tyree Nichols' mother continuously said to the community, do not loot, do not riot. I believe that she's a saint. I believe she's an angel. She single-handedly kept my city, I truly believe, from burning down uh, and, and having it turn into total anarchy because she kept saying that over and over again for her son's legacy. But if we want to fix this problem, and you mentioned this in your monologue about, I usually am a guy that wants to have you know resolution and, and, and come up with a way to fix it. You fix this by actually being honest. And the police and the city council and the worthless mayor of Memphis who is who is who continues to play into the anti-police propaganda, defund the police, no bail, prison reform. He's a Soros DA. We just got there, Steve Mulroy. When you keep playing with fire and you continue to have a lack of institutional control of your police department, this will happen again because you need actual police officers with experience overseeing the young guys and training them up. And we don't All have right. that. I don't think this is going to happen again, but I think that the state of Tennessee has to take over the policing in I, Memphis. I well, mean, and the city council will Memphis. never let them because Doesn't they matter. want governor to has take the away authority. The, the governor has the authority to declare a state of emergency in Memphis to just obliterate the city council. And that's what yeah. has to happen. Hey, Ben, we really appreciate your perspective. I don't think... Uh, our viewers and listeners will get that anywhere else. And I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on tonight. Sorting through your expenses, estimated payments, and all those tax deductions can be overwhelming. Might even lead to a failure to file and failure to pay penalties that pile up on your tax debt. The attorneys at Tax Network USA have been lifesavers for many Americans. Their team has successfully saved clients more than $1 billion in tax debt, a billion. Whether you're in the hole for 10,000 or 10 million, they are ready to help. The expert attorneys and tax professionals at Tax Network USA are equipped to secure the best settlement for you and help you resolve all tax cases. So please go to taxnetworkusa.com bill, or you can call 1-800-245-6000. These debt relief Programs are expected to change, so get started now. Please go to taxnetworkusa.com slash bill, or you can call 1-800-245-6000. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall, and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money 
your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. You're listening to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. There have been 35 press secretaries since George Ackerson, the first one. Joining us now from Washington is Fred Lucas, who is the uh, chief new investigative correspondent for The Daily Signal. And he's the author of the new book, The Myth of Voter Suppression, The Left's Assault on Clean Elections, which came out last September. Okay, so looking, I don't want to be unfair to Miss Jean-Pierre. I know that the job requires you to be a propagandist. That's what the job is, all right? And you don't take the job unless you're willing to do that. Stretch the truth or dodge the truth or spin the truth. But in your estimation, how effective is Miss Jean-Pierre? Well, one important thing, I think, is that neither the president nor the vice president are particularly great communicators, uh, to say the least. Uh, so that makes a good spokesperson really essential. Uh, from that perspective, I don't think KJP quite measures up in terms of being a great spokesperson uh, to be charitable. But uh, um, what, what we did see, I think the press corps was largely giving her a pass for a while. Until more recently with this whole classified document scandal, she had said during the press briefing several times that the search is complete. You're, we're not going to see any more classified documents. Um, that's not what happened. Of course, uh, the day a day or two after that happened, more documents showed up. Uh, I was in the press room the day that the press really unloaded on her for that. So uh, she has had a tougher time as of late. Um, All right. Is she, think, yeah, in your sure. opinion, is she smart enough to do this job? Because she often uh, comes off to me as somebody who is reading notes. And, you know, the White House communications office, she's not in charge of that. She goes in every day and they hear the talking points. And this is what you say to the press. They anticipate the questions. And then she goes out and pretty much recites what they tell her to say. But it doesn't look to me that she's fast enough on her feet to answer follow-up questions in any effective way. Am I wrong? Yeah, I uh, should stick, try to stick with the talking points. Um, I'm not going to judge her intelligence. I would say that her predecessor, uh, uh, Jen Psaki, was uh, much better. better at sticking with yeah. those talking points. And uh, she, you know, not necessarily more honest, but better with the talking points and uh, getting that out there. Uh, at the same point, uh, Jen Psaki was previously the uh, spokesperson for the State Department. Uh, she was yeah, she not very good at that job. Right. Yeah, yeah. But uh, she grew into, she had some growing to do. Maybe KJP will grow into this role. She's not ready now. Uh, no, she was thrown into gonna, the deep end, definitely. No. 
as a communicator who does this for a living, I, can, I know. There's no hope for her. Now, when Saki left the office, I complimented her on what a good job she did spinning the propaganda out of the White House, because she did. She looked composed. Uh, she was fairly articulate, uh, where Jean-Pierre stammers a lot uh, when you hit her with something that's obviously contradictory. She just denies it. She said, oh, no, that didn't happen. You know, when you're, when you're basically coming in and you don't have any truth threshold, which the Biden administration doesn't, the president himself, and we did this yesterday, um, Fred, uh, we ran down in one speech all the things that he said that just simply weren't true. Does he care? No, he doesn't care. Um, but Jean-Pierre does the same thing. If it's true, I don't really care. I'm just going to say it. That's what I think is really hurting the nation at this point. Well, uh, yeah, I, I uh, said that she's getting hammered a lot for what she said about the documents. But really, for uh, since she's taken the job, she's been uh, largely de- been a recession denier. Uh, she said everything's fine sure. at the border, essentially. Absolutely. Um, I, look, looking back at her background before this, she was an election denier uh, about regarding the 2016 election, uh, regarding the uh, the presidential election that year, regarding the 2018 Georgia governor's race. Uh, there was no evidence either of those races were stolen, but she was out there as a pundit saying that they were. Um, so, yeah, I mean, she has had some some issues with truth uh, even prior to this job. Right. All right, Fred, we really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Um, You know, again, I'm trying to be fair to this woman, but it comes a point where you have to make a decision. My decision is she's incompetent and dishonest. That's not a good combination. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is the No Spin News Weekend Edition. So the Biden administration puts climate change above everything else. And we see it. That's why we're having so many problems economically, because of the attack on the fossil fuel industry. And now it goes into foreign policy. It's worse than the nuke threat. So who better to address this than former Secretary of State and former CIA chief Mike Pompeo joins us now from Virginia. As you know, and you should know if you pay attention, he's got a brand new bestseller, Never Give an Inch, Fighting for the America I Love. I like this book because it's no BS. 
You know, I mean, it, most of these political books, uh, very hard to get through them, but I, that's why I like <laughs> it. Now, we're going to talk about it, Mr. Secretary, in a moment, but I, I want to get your uh, contemporized uh, opinions on some things that are very important going on right now. The climate change thing, um, what's your read on that? Well, I think you have it right. To put that first amongst all the challenges America faces is in, in just not, not logical. It doesn't make any sense. They're, they're driving even more problems than they are creating. We can all figure our way to uh, technology solutions to keeping our air clean and our water safe, but to put climate change at the forefront, to spend hundreds of billions of dollars to regulate the American industry, energy industry out of existence with these ESG rules, it will harm the American economy and it makes life worse for just about every American. It's an enormous mistake. It's in a misunderstanding of the various threats we face around the world too. I'm sure we'll talk about China and Chairman Kim and all the, all the bad guys, but make no mistake, it's it's not the number one threat to the United States of America. Okay, when you were traveling as Secretary of State all over the world, foreign leaders, were they bringing up their concern about climate change as Biden and Kerry and, and at crew does? Were they concerned about it? No, they were frankly happy that we weren't putting it in their face in the way that the Obama administration has, and now the Biden administration is doing as well. They, they too, they understand that there may well be a transition. Fair enough. Affordable energy for everyone makes sense. But no, they, they didn't bring it up. They wanted to actually talk about how we could get American LNG imported and how we could get pipelines running into their country and how the United States could help them with their economy and their security situation. They weren't, they weren't putting climate change above everything else. It's only when they gather for these global confabs and fancy places where that is the topic that dominates literally everything else. Okay. Now, on your book tour, you made headlines by saying that you believe there may be a war uh, between China and the United States um, coming on up. Put that in some kind of perspective for us, please. Well, Bill, we've now seen the Department of Defense senior leaders say the same thing. I also talked a lot about the fact that, frankly, the Chinese Communist Party has been at war with the American economy for four decades, and we just literally did nothing about it. We didn't defend our workers. We didn't defend our intellectual property. We thought if we engaged more with the Chinese Communist Party, they'd become more like us when just the opposite has actually taken place. Uh, Xi Jinping, now essentially leader for life in China, has made clear his desire for global hegemony. He wants to, he wants to run the world. Pretty straightforward. Uh, we have to make sure that this is a world that is dominated not by Marxist-Leninists, ideology in China, but by a set of understandings that have created enormous <laughs> amount of wealth and brought billions out of starvation, the system that we know best. Okay. I'm a logical guy, a linear thinker, as are you. I didn't think Putin would go into Ukraine because I knew the unintended consequences were going to come back on Putin, ruin him as a uh, world leader with any credibility and hurt Russia. So I said, you know, he's saber rattling, but he won't really do it. And he did it. I bring the same logic to Xi in China. Uh, they got a billion and a half people there, many of whom are basically subsistence people. All right, they live from day to day. They don't have reserves, they don't have bank accounts, they don't have credit cards. They're just living uh, on what they can get that day. Any kind of war generated by China or any kind of action against Taiwan or anything like that immediately slaps sanctions on China, just like Putin. Okay, cripples their economy. And then if it's a shoot war, the whole planet goes <laughs> up into chaos. 
the communists in Beijing, are they that self-destructive in your opinion? Bill, there's risk that they are. Your, your point on Putin is exactly right. What I think, and your point about being linear and logical is exactly right. What we have to take into account is that these folks just think about human life differently, and they think about their country differently. They, Chairman Kim in North Korea doesn't give a rip that there's 25 million North Koreans starving. The Ayatollah in Iran doesn't care that his people are suffering. In the same way, Xi Jinping didn't care that 6, 8, 10 million people could die if he allowed this virus to travel across the world. Their logic is simply different than ours. It is about power. They certainly want to stay in power, so they've got work to do there. But when you own all the tools, the information space, the surveillance state, the military and the police, you can do lots of things that look to us, to Bill, to you, like, like really stupid blunders like Putin did. And you can do a stupid blunder like that in China and still maintain your capacity to rule. That's, that's the danger, is that he will not understand logic the same way that you and I do. But she drew back on the COVID stuff because millions of Chinese took to the streets and it looked to me like Beijing got nervous. They blinked, all right, because he wanted to isolate all the town, Shanghai and everything else, and basically keep people inside because of the horrible COVID problem they have. He pulled back from that. And a billion and a half people are hard to control. Um, certainly, uh, your time as director of the CIA, you knew how much unrest there was, particularly in Western China, in the Uyghurs and all of that front. I mean, yes, they've got, as you said, all of the power centralized in the hands of the Communist Party, but a billion and a half people don't want you. You're not going to be there. And she has got to be thinking about that, right? Oh, I think he absolutely thinks about it every day, but he doesn't think about it with the same kind of logic that you do, and nor does he apply a risk factor in the same way that, that, that we would. Uh, remember Tiananmen Square, right? Chinese people hacked off, uh, all bad. They, they put it down. Remember the protests in Iran in this last, what, six, seven months now? The Iranians managed to put it down. They'll, they'll let, to your point about letting COVID go, they'll let the pressure off. They'll have a little pressure valve release, and then they will crush those that remain in their resistance. I think she believes firmly that he's got the whip hand. And so, you know, he's, he's told the Chinese people that his term reunifying Taiwan with China is the most important thing to their nation. He's propagandized. They now, I think, largely believe it as well. He's got a lot of space to move about the cabin in ways that can put a lot of risk on the United States of America. All right. So if he does invade China, would you be in favor of military action against China by the USA? If he does so invade be, Taiwan. You, you bet. Look, it'll be more complicated than that. It, it, in, in my judgment, doesn't look like a, a land assault like we saw in the Pacific Islands. That's hard work. Uh, it'll be more difficult than that. It'll be a little blockade here, a little sea lane challenge there, political influence there. We should be providing Taiwan today with the tools they need to deter this kind of aggression. Thinks mines, think air defense systems, think long-range intelligence capabilities. We should do those things today because when this conflict blows off, if, if she actually makes this mistake, and I do believe it would be a mistake for him, uh, this will end up escalating very quickly. Japan, the Philippines, uh, th this, won't just, this won't just be between China and Taiwan. This will get very complicated. Those are security partners. We're going we're gonna to have to figure out how to deter it. And then if he decides to do it, how we're going to push back against it. Okay, but, but like Russia, China's not going to have any allies at all. Maybe Putin, but that, that's it. Everybody's going to be assembled against China if they invade Taiwan. Now, final question on this front. Putin and Xi, you know them both. 
Is there a difference in personality? Is one more dangerous than the other? Yeah, they're they're definitely different. Uh, Putin, one could have a conversation with and believe that he's listening. With Xi Jinping, I never saw that. He was dead-eyed. He was focused. He was ruthless every moment. Putin, you could engage and have a conversation about places we could work together and places that we could not. Very different in that way. The other big difference is Putin has a thousand nuclear warheads. That's serious stuff. But China now has a set of capabilities and an economy that just make this threat so much greater. Now, you don't think Putin would use the nukes, though. He's not that nutty, is he? That would be insane. I I don't think so. But every day it goes on, Bill, I worry. Every, Every day that continues and there's a cycle of escalation and if Russia continues to have the difficulties it's had, it's not unimaginable he would do something that is at least the rough equivalent of that. Think about the nuclear power plant in Zaporizhia. Now, there's lots of tools that Putin has that are just devastating. And I hope we can bring it to a conclusion fast so that we don't continue to face this problem. We get a permanent laydown of the weapons there. I don't know about that. But in order for Putin to use a nuke as far as an offensive nuke, the military, Russian military, would have to go along with it. He can't just yeah. do it on his own. Um, I'm not sure the Russian military would do that. How about you? Don't know the answer to that. Um, I've seen lots of different reporting, even as my time as CIA director. It's not clear. Remember, you only need a small handful, and you shouldn't forget either. A big piece of the Russian military today is being outsourced to this group called the Wagner Group, a private military by a guy named Mercenaries. Yeah, Yeah, mercenaries, a guy named Fergozin running it. This guy is absolutely pure evil. Might he run it through that process and avoid his whole military chain of command? We, we shouldn't discount these things. That's why you have to provide the Ukrainians with the tools they need to bring this to a conclusion as quickly as we can. Speculative question I don't like asking, but I have to. Trump says if he were still president, if he were reelected, there would not have been an invasion of Ukraine. Do you believe that? My best evidence to support that claim is that it didn't happen on our watch. Bill Putin didn't change. His desire for greater Russia existed when we were there too. He took a fifth of Ukraine under President Obama. He took 0% of Ukraine under President Trump and myself, and he went back at it as soon as we left. There's, there's my best argument for why I believe we could have continued the deterrence that we had for our four years. Did, uh, was there ever a time during the Trump administration when you felt that Putin was going to invade Ukraine? Was that on the table? No, there was no time that I, that no I can recall okay. Putin was seriously considering it. All right, um, let's go to the book. So Nikki Haley announced today she's running for president. My analysis is she can't raise the money to really do a competitive job this time around. She knows it. All she wants to do is get known for down the road. Um, doesn't really have much of a chance. In your book, you don't speak that uh, highly of the ambassador. A former ambassador to the U.N. Uh, you want to just I don't want to put words in your mouth. Tell me what you think. So my comments in the book were about the fact that in the Trump administration, Bill, you know, this. there are a lot of folks saying I don't want to be anywhere near it. everything that President Trump touches. The people around him all end up worse off than they began. And there were too many people who quit, who weren't on the mission, who were about something other than America and the task that they had in front of them. And so I had this incredible privilege to be a CIA director and then Secretary of State. I wouldn't have quit for nothing. I literally, every second I had mattered and I stayed focused on the mission. There were others who came in. They say they had important jobs. And in 18 months, two years, they decided, 
I've had enough. I'm going to go on with my life. I just have no time for those folks. All right. So you didn't think she was loyal enough to the cause of America first. Would that be a fair summation? That's absolutely true. You have to be on the team and you have to care about America enough to work through whatever might be impacting you personally. Okay, so Donald Trump uh, yesterday sues uh, Bob Woodward. And the reason I'm bringing this up is that you have a portion in your book, which is pretty funny, um, uh, for $49 million. And, and Trump's got a case because of there were tapes that Simon and Schuster, the publisher, used that Trump did not say uh, they could use, and they put out another money-making thing off it. That's what it's really about. But yeah. Trump ordered you uh, to talk to Woodward. You may not know this, but right before that, I talked to Trump. And, uh, yeah. I, you know, you know, I know him for a long period of time, longer of than course. I think you know him. Uh, yeah. And I told him, you're insane to, to cooperate with Woodward. Because I know the book publishing industry, and you got to put together, as you and I both did, a proposal. This is what my book's going to be about. And if you put a proposal to Simon & Schuster, like, I'm going to say great things about Donald Trump, they're not going to give you $5 million, all right? If you say, I'm going to bring them down again, then you'll get the money. So I said, why are you doing that? And he goes, oh, I want to get my side out. Anyway, so he, <laughs> ordered, he orders you as Secretary of State to talk to Woodward. You tell <laughs> the story. True. You tell uh, he did. But you, you, I'm laughing so hard because, Bill, that's so funny. I didn't know the other side of this story, the front end. At the back end, I'd said exactly the same thing. What on earth are you talking to him for? He says, no, no, no. We got to tell our side of the story. He wants to talk to you. I said, I don't have time. I'm too busy. He says, talk to him. So uh, I did. As I was directed, I, I called Bob Woodward. A president actually gave me his cell phone number uh, and called him and said, I'm happy to meet with you. My only slot available is tomorrow morning. I can't remember. Five or six o'clock. Hopefully too early. He wouldn't want to be there. But damn, if he didn't show up. Uh, I told him he had 15 minutes. He, he said, but the president gave me three hours or four hours. And I said, uh, yes, you have 13 minutes left. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, just, I just, Bill, you know this. Right? Uh, there was just no upside to this. Not, I'm not about right. me. There was just no upside to this for what we were trying to accomplish. And you didn't give him anything, right? I don't think I gave him a darn thing. When he wrote, there wasn't much about me and it other than what others had said. Yeah. And was he looking to hit Trump? Yeah, uh, absolutely. He came in claiming to be my best friend. And the truth, he was doing his best to make me think that I should dump on my boss. And I wasn't going to have, I just didn't have, I had no energy time. And it's not the right thing to do. There's no doubt about that, what he uh, wanted to do. Okay, now, um, are you going to run for president, Mr. Secretary? Can't answer that just yet, Bill. We're thinking our way through it. We, my wife Susan and me, uh, shortly we'll have our answer and you'll either see us hanging out in Dubuque and Cedar Falls and all the great places there in Manchester, New Hampshire, or we'll be back uh, living our life like we did before I lost my mind and ran for Congress. Stay now, tuned. when do you think that you would have to make a decision on that? Probably the next few months. So not not terribly far off. Think uh, think late spring, early summer when we'll have to begin to build the team. You, your point about money a little bit earlier, the resources to right. go make the case and compete effectively. Okay. You're willing to go up against Trump? I mean, you know, he doesn't like people uh, going up against him, as we saw with DeSantis yesterday. Yeah, no, he'll, he's already suggested that someone who runs against him who served would be disloyal. I just, I don't see it that way. This isn't about him or me. It's about the country. And yeah, well, certainly, I'm, I'm happy to run. There'll be lots of folks get in. Uh, we should all go make our case if we're going to run and let the American people sort it all out. Yeah, you certainly have the experience and you're an honest guy. I can tell uh, th that. I'm going to tell the story not long. Um, you know, the secretary's book, uh, Never Give an Inch, is a big bestseller. Well, when I was writing Killing the Killers, and I don't think you're going to mind me saying this, 
Um, I call the secretary because we we did extensive research in that book, The Secret War on Terrorism, the key word being secret. Okay, because I didn't know any of this stuff. And you were very, very helpful to us. And everything you said checked out. There were other people who I talked to and they gave me good stuff, but it didn't really check because we had to check what you said just to make sure that every word in Killing the Killers is true, which every word is. So I, that's what really sold me on you. Yeah. I said, this guy is yeah. telling me the truth about it, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So yeah. Well, I appreciate we, that, Bill. By the way, that's a great book, too. It's a great read. Thank you. And uh, wouldn't have ever happened without your help. Okay, Mike Pompeo, there he is. I hope you come back. I want to talk about Mexico. I didn't have time tonight, but I feel Mexico is a threat to the United States. So if you have time in the next uh, few weeks, let us know. Uh, we'll do a Mexico segment and plug your book again. Uh, it's doing very, very well. want people to check it out. And it's always a pleasure to see you, Mr. Secretary. Thanks again for helping us. Thank you very much, Bill. Have a good day. Okay. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful. A lot of anxiety. And it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Here's a gem from the No Spin News Vault. All right, now I am going to prove to you my viewers all over the world, that I'm a good guy. Now, I know some of you have questions about that, but here is the proof. So as you know, a killing the mob was number one for nine weeks. But then it wasn't number one because another book took its place. And that book is called American Marxism by a guy named Mark Levin. You may have heard of him. So rather than brood about this and hurl invective Mr. Levin's way, I'm putting him on a program tonight, and you're going to see him in a moment. But first, I want to set up American Marxism. So as you know, we've been reporting on this for, I would say, two years, you know, uh, and we, we really stepped it up after the George Floyd incident, that there is a strain in the United States that wants to replace our capitalistic system with socialism slash Marxism. And we've proven it beyond a reasonable doubt. If you still don't believe it, all you need to do is go to the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation website where they clearly say, the three women who founded that organization, we're Marxists. We are. They're not, it's not like they're hiding it. They're proud of it. So in the months after George Floyd, the following corporations donated a lot of money to the Marxist 
Black Lives Matter Global Foundation, Amazon, Microsoft, Intel, Reddit, Uber, Warner Music Group, Cisco, Gatorade, Nabisco, and then there were private people, Jennifer Aniston, Brad Pitt, Justin Bieber, Leonardo DiCaprio, Lady Gaga, on and on and on and on. Now, are all of those people Marxists? I mean, what the deuce are they doing? So joining us now from Florida is the aforementioned author of the number one bestseller, American Marxism. Uh, Mark Levin, you know him. He's on radio. He's on television. He'll come to your house and cut your lawn if you're nice to him. I mean, he's just everywhere. So this is what I, I can't explain to my audience very lucidly. These big corporations that would be dismantled, actually confiscated if Marxism was the system in America, they're pumping millions of dollars into that system. Can you explain it? Well, if you look at history, and thank you, Bill, for having me, there were a lot of corporations that worked hand in glove with Nazi Germany, with the Third Reich, even though they were claiming to be capitalist organizations. They're not really so much pro-capitalism as they're pro-corporatism. And I explained in the book a couple attitudes about this. Number one, the boards have moved hard left with the uh, newer and newer board members. Number two, they want to destroy their competition. What better way to destroy your competition than to get in bed with the regulators? Number three, many of them have decided that the Democrat Party and this agenda is going to win because in so many respects, the Republicans are weak, uh, that these movements have already devoured main cultural aspects of our society. And so it's not that they're particularly patriotic. Many of them want to do business in China. Many of them do business in China. They don't much care about how much genocide is going on there. And so these are these are a different type of uh, corporate boardroom I think we're dealing with today and over the last several decades. So it doesn't surprise me. And of course, they get no pushback from us. The left goes to shareholder meetings. They show up by the hundreds. They make demands. Uh, they, they conduct boycotts and, and they try to get pension funds to divest. We don't do anything except complain about it and talk about it. And that's one of the points of my book. It's time that we become a little bit more engaged. We don't have to change our lives the way they do. They're 24-7 at this. But how about we spend a few minutes every day or an hour every week uh, doing what we need to do to push back. And we need to begin boycotting. We need to begin sanctioning. We need to be begin divesting. All right, let's get to that. Uh, we need to we'll get to litigious. that in a minute. But I yeah. still want to, I, I want to pick up this theme. So Disney, you don't get more American than Disney, all right? The Disney Corporation is full woke. Would you agree with that? They're 100% oh, yeah. in. Okay. Now, I don't know whether Bob Iger, a billionaire, runs Disney is... I don't think he's a Marxist or a socialist, um, but what he does is enable this kind of fascism, particularly on speech, to take root. That's what he does. And I'll give you an example. I think you may know this. In Disney World in Orlando, Florida, and in Disneyland in Anaheim, California, the public address people can no longer say the words, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. They're gone. That's fascism. Okay. Uh, they're ordered. No, by that's their... Marxism. Well, you link it into Marxism. Okay. I'll explain it in a minute. All right. But I don't think Iger and the board of Disney would cop to being Marxists. I don't think well, they I would. want to explain that. Okay. It's not that they cop to being Marxists. I didn't call the book Marxism. 
I call it American Marxism. It's an Americanized form of Marxism. And it's for this reason. They have adapted the fundamentals, the oppressed versus the oppressor, the victim versus the victimized. Uh, they reject so many of our founding principles, whether they're billionaires, whatever they're doing and so forth is, is beside the point. They're not Marxists in the old Soviet way. They're not Marxists, they're not Maoists, they're not Leninists. But they, but they embrace the idea uh, that the culture is rotten because they promote it. If they didn't promote it, uh, then it wouldn't matter what all these Marxist movements are doing. They embrace the idea. You can't find a dime's worth of difference with them on Black Lives Matter. You just said they help subsidize them. Uh, they say almost nothing about Antifa. When it comes to climate change, which I explain in the book is an old degrowth movement that came out of uh, Europe, uh, they're all in on climate change. They help fund these movements. Uh, they're all in on critical race theory. And this is what I mean. It's an Americanized, tailorized form of Marxism. Now, they don't want to nationalize businesses and stuff like that. But they take the fundamentals where you must have class warfare based on whatever it is. Marx talked about economic class warfare. This Americanized form has expanded it. Uh, it's been tailored to our American system to seek but our do imperfections. You think, do you yeah. think that Iger and the boys sitting there in Beverly Hills uh, are aware of that? Do you think they're doing it on purpose? Well, they're not doing it by accident. So you and think I will that say they this. know... The Disney and the board of directors and the CEO know and want them to tear down the traditional American system, both economically and socially. You think they want to do this and are using the power of their corporation to make it happen? Actually, it doesn't matter to me whether they think it or not. This book isn't written for the media. It's not written for the corporate titans. It's not written for the left. It's written for the average American to read and find out what's going on in this country. But let me address that. Not only doesn't it matter to me what they think they are, the fact of the matter is they're promoting it. If these corporations weren't promoting it, and if these various cultural institutions like our media were not promoting it, it wouldn't be an issue. That's if true. our school districts weren't promoting it, it wouldn't matter. That's absolutely the culture true. has been conquered. And so I'm trying, I said, here's what happened. I looked at this. I didn't come up with this title until three months before I turned this book in. I said, what the hell is going on here? And I went back, I'll give you an example, climate change. I said, what, climate change, climate warming, climate cooling, is it happening, isn't it happening? This is a movement. One degree here or there, they wanna change our entire economy. Who are these people? And I go back and I researched it and I saw, this comes out of the 1970s out of Europe, an entire movement. It's all out there for people to see. It's not about global warming or cooling or climate. It is about a degrowth movement aimed first at the United States, the Industrial Revolution, which Marx was always upset about the Industrial Revolution because it proved his entire theory false. The bourgeoisie was not overthrown by the great proletariat. The great proletariat became the great middle class that loves America and defends America and fights for America. So they've been on a hate on on the American capitalist system from day one. And they hate being called what I call them. Whether they believe it or not, I don't much give a damn. You can't find, Bill, a dime's worth of difference between the vast majority of the media today and any of these movements. No, all they right, we'll get to the media in, in, a, in a moment. Yeah. Now, on page 34 of your book, you have a quote from a guy who says, social movements thrive on conflict 
And what basically that is, is that you have to create so much chaos if you want to change a system. And you can see that throughout history. I know you're a historian. You know how the Russian Revolution happened, how the rise of the Third Reich happened. And, and you've got to create all of this confusion so the people just don't know what the deuce is going on. And that they then go into whatever they feel is safe or what promises them the most. And that is a very, very smart theme of your book. Now, my question, because you know I'm a simple man. Joe Biden is a leader of the United States. He has done more to enable the progressive left and all of the woke stuff than any other president in history, including Barack Obama, by far. Now, Biden will never read your book, and I don't even think he'll have the time to have Jill read it to him, okay? But if you were to have him right here, Biden would never admit to being, oh, I don't want Marxism. I don't want socialism. You know he wouldn't. Do you think he has any clue what's really happening? Here's the thing. One of the things I also say in the book is this, Bill. We have to take the language back. And we have to understand what's going on in this country. This isn't liberalism. This isn't progressivism. This isn't social activism. This isn't democratic socialism, which are uh, two terms that don't really work together. This is what it is. And they may not like me calling it, but my calling it exactly what it is. And that's part of the book. We have to have the courage to use the terms properly. Now, as a perfect example, the early progressive movement was a byproduct of Marxism. The early progressives, whether Woodrow Wilson, but in particular John Dewey and so forth, they embraced it. John Dewey went back to Moscow in 1928 when Stalin was in full roar. And he looked at the educational system and he said, this is what we need to be doing. We need to unite around the communal. We have to, re and you've written, you've talked about this. I think you call them the SPs or something to that, that effect. And right. uh, it's exactly right. Right. But yeah. Biden himself so, as the leader is, is cultivating yeah. this. He's making it easier for the Ocasio-Cortezes right. and all of these people. Do you think he knows what he's doing? He, these people will never say, I, he found me out, Levin did. I'm an American Marxist. Of course not. But I want Frank and Sally and Mohammed and Yitzhak and everybody else in America to understand. This is what they're promoting. They self-identify as something else. This is also another tactic. In terms of Biden, no, of course he doesn't know. But he is the main, as you point out, the main foil through which they operate. He has signed executive order after executive he's order promoting every one of these movements. So I don't think he knows what he's doing, period. Um, he's never really had any spine. You know that from his senatorial career. Right. Um, I think his church is going to boot him uh, in November. And that'll be a huge story. Final question on politics. Kamala Harris, is she more hardcore progressive than Biden? You know, I don't know, Bill, if we've ever had a time, certainly in modern history, we've had two people who are completely unqualified to serve in the positions they're in. Kamala Harris, though, is more of an outwardly ideological, I think. Uh, Biden is a chameleon, but I think she's more outwardly ideological. There's not a single one of these, what I call these spawned American Marxist movements that she disagrees with. In fact, she had a more radical voting record than Bernie Sanders. Uh, that's another one who gets away with, I'm a democratic socialist. That guy's been an old red Marxist since day one when he was screaming on a soapbox in Brooklyn, New York. 
But that said, yes, she clearly is. I mean, look, do they talk about individual liberty ever? Do they talk about American sovereignty ever? Do they ever praise American capitalism? They trash the founders. They trash the founding. They trash the declaration in the Constitution. They support people pulling down monuments. They support people effectively burning books, brainwashing our children. If it's not what I call American Marxism, then what the hell is it? Last question. NBC is the most woke of the powerful corporations that control the media. That's Comcast. All right. Second is AT&T, CNN. I see it as a money play for NBC. They got their butt kicked when I was at Fox News. They could never do anything. They never made any money. But then they went far left, and now they're making a little bit of money. CNN was the Hey Trump network. They made a little money doing that. Is it all about money for Comcast and AT&T, or are they buying into this progressive socialist trend? I think in this specific respect, these massive corporations that own these these news platforms, they don't need to own these news platforms. They can make a ton of money without them. I think they uh, they own them as a protection racket. CNN is never going to do a negative story on AT&T. And NBC and MSNBC are never going to do a negative story on Comcast. So I think they like having these outlets. They like having them woke. Uh, they're part of that, that milieu of... Uh, of corporatists who who are down for the revolution, even though they're out there trying to make every little nickel they possibly can. So I just want to be clear. I know they don't self-identify as American Marxists. If they did, I wouldn't have to write this book. I'm identifying them. I'm explaining why I think they are, that it is a unique form of Marxism. There was a great piece written by Professor Paul Kengor from Grove City in the American Spectator. And he's an expert on communism. He's an expert on the Cold War. And he said, what's unique about this book is that he feels I've identified something that's happening, something that's going on, and I've labeled it properly. And we'll see, because I think I have, but we'll see if, if people right. agree with me. And you're uh, on your radio and television platforms, you're saying to the American people in these corporations, the ones we just named and many, many more, don't do business with them, right? Just don't do business with them. To the extent you can, boycott them. And then also look what we did with Goya. Also promote those who, who, who are patriot. I mean, what the hell? Why should we subsidize our own demise? Why should we subsidize companies that hate our guts? Does that go for movie stars and people like that? Is that, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, Aniston, these right. people? Okay. All right. The yeah. book, number one. And, you know, I'm not holding a grudge that, that Killing the Mobs, number three. We love you, uh, Bill. <laughs> American Marxism, Mark Levin. Thanks very much. Hope we can talk again. I appreciate you coming. You on. too. Okay. God bless. I thought that was a pretty interesting interview. I hope you did, too. Let me know what you think. Bill at BillOReilly.com. Name in Tanafush to opine. Thank you for listening to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. To watch the full episodes of the No Spin News, visit BillOReilly.com and sign up to become a premium or concierge member. That's BillOReilly.com. Sign up and start watching today. Sorting through your expenses, estimated payments, and all those tax deductions can be overwhelming. Might even lead to a failure to file and failure to pay penalties that pile up on your tax debt. The attorneys at Tax Network USA have been lifesavers for many Americans. Their team has successfully saved clients more than $1 billion in tax debt, a billion. 
Whether you're in the hole for 10,000 or 10 million, they are ready to help. The expert attorneys and tax professionals at Tax Network USA are equipped to secure the best settlement for you and help you resolve all tax cases. So please go to taxnetworkusa.com slash bill, or you can call 1-800-245-6000. These debt relief programs are expected to change, so get started now. Please go to taxnetworkusa.com slash bill, or you can call 1-800-245-6000. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you.